most franchise systems have less than 100 locations. So when you start thinking about that from that standpoint, you start to realize there really is opportunity for that small business to grow and become a regional, maybe a national or international player. Dr. Tom Dufour is the founder and CEO of Big Sky Franchise Team. Big Sky Franchise Team is an award-winning consulting firm specializing in helping growth-minded entrepreneurs franchise their business. And that is exactly what we will be talking about today. Tom values building others up. And whether it's an owner looking to franchise their business or members of his team, his leadership focuses on treating people with respect, encouraging them to do their best, and always learning. He seeks to live out his company's purpose to inspire and foster greatness. And that is exactly what he does in today's Master Your Business episode. Please join us in episode number 26 of the Master Your Business podcast with me, Deirdre Martin, and make sure to leave a rating or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Tom, today we're talking all things franchising, but tell me, where does somebody even start when it comes to franchising? What do they need to know? What are all the things? Sure. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. And when people think of franchising, I think sometimes that word, especially for that small business owner or that small business leader, sometimes comes across and can be overwhelming, or there might be some misconceptions in terms of what it means. And so I always like to start from just zooming out a little bit and break down franchising. And as we understand it today, as most consumers, just we're all consumers, we've all been to probably a McDonald's or some pick some other famous well-known franchise brand. We've been customers, a 7-Eleven, what have you. And uh, when we when we think of these franchises, this is called what, what's called business format franchising, where we're franchising a business system and we're franchising a business name. We're taking those and allowing someone else to use it. So all of these businesses, whether take, for example, Ray Kroc, which he, which he has a great book that he wrote or finished writing right before he passed away um, uh, called The Founder that a popular movie was made after. And uh, it shares from some of the early days of what McDonald's was like. And when you read it, I think it's interesting as a small business owner, you really relate to Ray Kroc in those early days of launching the business. And so to circle back on your initial question, franchising really is allowing someone else to use your business name and your business system for the payment of a fee. That's the, that's essential. There's a big legal definition behind it, but those are the three pieces, name, system, fee from just a structural standpoint. And so when those pieces are in place, you're now able to, and someone else is operating it, that that becomes a franchise. And I think sometimes uh, small business owners and leaders, they get either turned off by franchising because they think it degrades the quality of their brand or the quality of the service or product they're delivering, or uh, it seems sometimes daunting or too large of a task where they think, I can't be that. I'm not fill in the blank. I'm not a Holiday Inn. I'm not a serve pro. I'm not a fill in the blank, large, well-known franchise brand. And the, the franchising for most, most franchise systems have less than a hundred locations. So when you start thinking about that from, from that 
standpoint, you start to realize that there really is opportunity for that small business to grow and become a regional, maybe a national or international player. Mm, that's so interesting. And I like how you broke it down into three things that they really need, which is system, name, and fee. And I suppose, you know, I've looked at franchising before. So, I mean, when I was thinking I'm going to start my business, what am I going to do? I went out and thought, oh, should I buy into a franchise? So there's that perspective. And then there's growing a business and then thinking, okay, what am I going to do with this next? Do I grow it? Do I sell it? Do I get my kids to take over from me? Do I put in a succession plan? There's all the things. So, you know, what are the steps when it comes then to making a decision like that about either opting in to become a franchisee or franchising your business? Yes, great question. So when you when you start thinking about franchising, very often it's the owner thinking of an exit strategy for themselves, like you described. It's uh, maybe I, I want to sell the business, but I'm not ready yet. My kids might be interested, but I'm not sure yet. Or maybe they're not interested at all. I run into that pretty frequently. And so when you start thinking of uh, franchising, it's really capitalizing on the intellectual property you have already created. So oftentimes owners and business leaders think, oh, I'm going to invest in real estate or I'm going to invest in stocks or it's crypto or it's whatever's hot and popular at the time for investing ideas. And they don't realize that right underneath their nose is this great asset they've already built and created that's profitable, that's working. And if you could figure out how to copy, make photocopies of it, uh, for those of us who remember what a photocopy machine is, or or uh, put together in, or, or think of it in the sense of, of uh, we, our tagline is multiply your success and figuring out a way to multiply the success that you have already created. How can you do that? And franchising is that is what allows you to leverage that intellectual property by packaging it up and being able to sell it to someone else that then invests the time, money, resources to own and operate it, and you share in the revenue from that business, albeit a small percentage, but your risk in opening that new territory or that new location is greatly reduced. So um, I, I, a common question we get asked is, well then, Tom, how do we kind of know if we're franchisable? How, how would we know to start investing and kind of continue on the question you were asking? What what are some things that we might look at that might be worth noting in terms of how do we know? And we break it down in three simple categories that we like to take a look at. The first one we take a look at is, is your business operating and profitable? So essentially profitable prototype that's operating, right? We We want to replicate something that's already working. The second piece, the second part is, do you have customer base at minimum on a regional basis? The next one would be national. Do you have national customers? Or ideally, why not have international opportunities for expanding around the world? And so when I say a customer base, it means that if you offer, uh, let's just say, uh, janitorial services, that there's clearly a need for janitorial services all over the country all over the world, and no matter where you're located. Um, or maybe sometimes you run into these very niche, unique areas. But for the most part, is there 
consumer customer base because you want to make sure your franchisees are going to be able to generate customers. And then that third part that that you're looking to take a look at is can you teach or train someone how to do this in and I say a reasonable time frame. So that's not very specific. <laughs> so if we want to define a reasonable time frame, it's really what you're looking at is a as short as one or two days depending on your business model, as long as one or two months to go through the training process for that upfront training to teach someone how to do it. And I always like to add a little caveat in there that a franchisee that comes in, maybe you have, uh, I've worked with, for example, veterinarian franchises or healthcare related franchises where you have to have a medical degree, a medical license to operate one of these businesses, depending on your jurisdiction's rules and laws, and depending on where you're located and so on. There are all kinds of rules relating to that, often very localized. And so in those scenarios, we would be looking in, in, in to sell to veterinarian, someone that's already a veter veterinarian, if that would be a requirement. So we're not going to teach people how to be a veterinarian. There are medical schools that do that already. Uh, rather, we're going to be looking at how we can take that person with that knowledge and background that we can teach them how to run your business and operate it. That's so interesting. And like one of my clients actually helps family businesses with succession planning. So I have come across this and I've come across it in my banking days as well, where people would have been talking about, you know, what are they going to do with their business or getting buy-in or investments from other people? And, and, you know, it, it can feel very scary because it is not something that a lot of businesses go through in my experience and I suppose you know some of the foundational steps to help them figure out are they operating and profitable what their customer base is like and how teachable or trainable their program product or services if we were to come back even before that Tom and kind of mm -hmm. say what do they need to to have or be or do yeah so what they need to have as an owner, there are a couple of key pieces. The first part is a business that's operating and profitable. And for the, the average small business owner, depending on how they run and the tax laws and so on, wherever they're based, most tax laws are creative to incentivize the owner to show as on their tax return to show as little profit as possible. And so I'm not talking about what your tax return says. I'm actually talking about what is the owner benefit that the owner is taking out of that business. And when we really simplify it is if a franchisee were, were to operate this business, could they earn a manager salary running that? So if you look around comparable businesses, could they earn a manager salary plus a 15% return on their cash investment to get a location or a franchise up and running. And we look for that 15% uh, 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 return on investment. Um, could be up to 20%, but a minimum 15% return on investment uh, for them to see after the second year. Uh, because we assume it takes a couple of years for a business to start cash flowing and growing. Now, if the, oh, if the franchisee is not an owner operator, then that manager's salary would get paid to a manager, certainly. And then they would see that 15% or 20% return on their investment is what they would be looking at. So that's we're, we're going to look and say, okay, let's assume that for the owner. They, they need to have that. And they also need to have the drive, the interest or desire to actually be a franchisor. 
So I don't want this just to be a wild fictional idea that sounds great in their mind. It, it sure it sounds great to have hundreds or of locations all over the country, all over the world. But but do you really want to be a franchisor? And it is a different mindset. And part of what we see our clients go through, and what I explain to our clients is, while when you come through and work with us and helping you franchise your business, you're going to end up with a bunch of documents and deliverables. But at the end of the day, it's really a transformational. It, it transforms your mindset to be thinking like a franchisor. So understanding that you are now going into a new business. So you have to have that kind of understanding that you're no longer selling widgets or services. You're now selling and supporting franchises. I guess it's a little bit like, you know, buying your first home versus being a landlord, right? Yes, very much so. Correct. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. Yes, very much so. Right. Okay. So now you're becoming that landlord. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're leasing or renting property and you're maintaining it, but someone else is living there or working out of there. That's a great description. And let's say then in terms of the teaching and training stuff, right? And and obviously, you know, on this show, I talk a lot about branding and marketing and customer experience. And for my client who, who works with people around succession planning, the big thing for her is, you know, the legacy that people are leaving behind in terms of reputation and everything and how important that is. And you touched on that already, Tom, but let's say in terms of brand and and handing that over, teaching and training that, what does that look like if somebody decides to franchise their business and they are concerned about reputation? It's a very common concern. It's extremely common. What happens if someone's not upholding the standard of my brand? What can I do? And so there, there are measures you can put in place where you help in protect that long-term. So I'll give a few examples that, that might be able to help out with this. The franchise agreement typically is designed, it's very one-sided and it's designed to protect two things. It's designed to protect the brand and the system of operation from everybody involved. That includes the franchisees, that includes to protect it from customers or employees of franchisees to, to give the strength to protect that. So in most franchise agreements, if a franchisee is uh, hurting the brand or the reputation, that can be grounds for termination. And some met, some ways you help protect that is I've, I've had clients in the past where we will say if they if a franchisee has a less than four star average rating out of five on some average sum of, let's say, Google reviews or Yelp reviews or whatever kind of review sites they're working through, aggregate that and average it. If it's less than a four star, they are in the hot seat. Basically, they have they're put on kind of a 90 day process improvement plan, essentially. And if they don't improve those reviews, well, it can be grounds for termination. So for example, that's one way to do it. Uh, reviews are also a great way for you to see what's going wrong with the business. So to, to not view it as a, a uh, kind of, I don't want it to view, be viewed as an iron fist where you're always slapping their hand and telling them they're wrong. Rather, it's a teachable moment. We can use those as teachable moments with our franchisees to train them and get them up to speed. So if it, 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 but it also helps, you know, what's happening. So I, I think those are a few, few ways to protect your brand specifically. Uh, and, and the franchise agreement is designed to really protect what's going on on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis with the franchisee.
Mm, I love that. And I mean, for me, that would be so important. And I know even some of my clients, one of my clients said to me the other day, dear, I'm just so pedantic about certain things. And so, you know, I would be fearful that if somebody, you know, was emanating my brand as a franchise and trying to deliver the same service and experience that I deliver in my business, that it just may not come through. But I'm guessing that these people, they're not small business owners like me, Tom. They have multiple employees probably and the brand and the experience and the culture is already alive in that way. Is that right? It, it is, yes. And this this is where on the franchise sales front, this becomes very important. So one way you help hedge or protect against diminishing brand or quality diminish, uh, diminishing over time with franchisees is by being hyper selective on the front side of bringing the right people into the system. It's like any brand, it's the people behind it. And the same is gonna be true for your franchise system. Now, I have a, a slightly different vantage point on launching the franchise a company for those first 10 franchisees. I tend to have a, a guidance or recommendation to our clients to be willing to be more flexible or consider candidates that they might not consider for franchise number 15 or 25 or 30. Much like when you started your own business, you maybe weren't quite as selective on the customers you were choosing because you just needed some customers. And your franchisees are the customers of the franchise system. And so you, you now get in the business of bringing on franchisees that are your customers. And that also means supporting them and treating them well and, uh, how are your reviews? Or probably you're not going to get Google reviews on uh, on your from your franchisees, but you could uh, be getting feedback from them to see how you're actually performing. So, uh, while it's not a, a sure proof way uh, of preventing it, but I do like I like thinking about it from uh, this idea of uh, it, it, there's a saying in real estate that you know three most important things in real estate are uh, location, location, location. And in franchising, there's an old saying that the three most important things in franchise sales is selection, selection, selection. And so we, we kind of apply that and you can be hyper-focused on that and make doing your best to make sure there's cultural fit, cultural alignment, people who understand what you're looking to do. Yeah, that's so important because that ties back to brand. And I think people often miss that, that your culture is actually part of your brand and you know the uh, the experience that employees provide again that's part of your brand okay tom i'm just going to get you to like tell me straight as well like what are the typical things that go wrong for franchisers yeah. like what what stuff do we not hear about that's happening tell us sure well there are a lot of usual things that you hear or worry about oh boy a franchisee is not following the system franchisee goes rogue, a franchisee is buying product or services from unapproved vendors. And yes, those things happen. They, what's interesting, I think, is they happen much less than you would suspect it to. Uh, uh, owners tend to be uh, much more naturally uh, suspicious and uh, cynical toward, their fran toward franchisees because they've been burned by so many employees in the past. The, the one of the things that makes franchising so exciting or one of the, the positive ends of it is it's the franchisees capital or money that they are investing into the business. Um, so those things do happen. They are very real and they do happen. And, and you want to be mindful of that. 
other things that uh, go wrong, we have a uh, free download, by the way, we can share a link to you called The Nine Pitfalls to Avoid When Franchising Your Business. And one thing that's very common is the owner trying to do it all themselves. And so the owner has kind of that mentality of, I can do it all, I can do everything. And they take that approach to franchising as well, where they try to do their own everything, all their documents, strategy, marketing, planning, all of these different things. And uh, much like in your business and the work that you do, it, there, there are experts that can help through some of those things. And so I always encourage uh, to consider outsourcing those things you don't have expertise in. Uh, I do it myself all the time and encourage, uh, encourage others to do the same. I would say another common mistake, and this is true for franchisees as well as the franchisor, is a lack of commitment to marketing spend. So they buy the uh, franchisee, for example, will buy the franchise and they just expect when I buy the franchise it's and they open up for business, it's like a light switch. The lights go on and people just want to clamor in and buy whatever they're offering. And generally that's not true. Generally, you have to be communicating that message and getting that across and marketing and branding locally in your community. And so that's a pain point for the franchisor to make sure and encourage franchisees to be marketing, which is part of the reason there are marketing requirements in the agreement. It's minimum requirements. It says these are the lowest things you need to do in order to keep your business viable. Everything you should be actually spending more than that to get new customers in. And the same is true for the franchisor. I see this happen all the time where uh, a client franchises their business and it's unfortunate and they get six months, 12 months in to franchising and they say, I haven't sold a franchise and they stop marketing or they gr greatly reduce their, their marketing budget. And franchise sales is a long sales cycle. And instead of having a new customer every day or every week, you might have one a year one every six months. So it's so it requires patience and waiting for that to come through. And the same is true for the franchisees as they're opening and launching and encouraging and reminding your franchisees that they are also, it takes time to build that customer base. It doesn't happen overnight. So th those are some really common uh, it, problems I see with franchisors and franchisees is keeping that marketing budget active, live and leads coming in in for them to follow up with. Uh, Tom, that's amazing. And it's so great to hear those because sometimes, you know, when we're researching, you know, typically we see like dreadful things happen or things that are just unfathomable in your own business. You can't ever foresee. So it's great to hear practically the things that are happening. And folks, I'm going to add Tom's nine pitfalls to avoid when franchising your biz in the show notes. So be sure to, to get your free download from Tom. So Tom, those are the problems that happen, right? I want to know about the successes that people experience as well. And I'm particularly curious to know if somebody has franchised their business and a franchisee has outperformed the franchisor. Please tell me, does that happen? And how often? It Yes, it happens all the time. And in fact, I, I always tell our clients that generally speaking, the founder original location there are a hundred franchises in your system. It's probably in the top 10%, but it's probably not number one. And uh, most often I find that franchisees come in and they absolutely, there are franchisees that come in and absolutely crush it. They take the business to 
new heights, new levels. I can think of one brand in particular. They have about even they're they're a small system. They have 12 franchises. And one franchisee is outperforming both company-owned locations. They've been operating for a long time and doing very well. And this franchisee came in and just rewrote how the business can be done. And so uh, remembering that, re that franchisees do have good ideas and they can help. They You should be open to that two-way communication to help that go. Um, a great success story. I tell this story often. I had a client I worked with for many years in the, they were in the um, state sales business or they do estate sales and they sold their, they decided they wanted to franchise, sold about 30 or so franchises and they were approached and acquired by an investment group. And now the owners, basically they have been able to, the founders have been able to retire and step away from the business. And it was, it was a beautiful win-win for all parties involved. The investment group that bought the franchise tied this in. They they have a senior support franchise or senior uh, organization. They do all senior related services. So this was a natural fit for that. Um, and I've seen others that just continue to grow beyond that. But I, I I always like that story. It's someone that had one location, franchised, sold about thirty franchises over five or so years, and then decided it was time to exit. Um, so there there are lots of opportunities that that come as you start to expand. Love that. I love that. And Tom, you already touched on the transformation that a franchiser has to go through in terms of that mindset of being a business owner to now becoming a franchiser. And you spoke about, you know, that shift and you know, the analogy that I gave in terms of landlord. But what else happens or what other types of things are you seeing franchisers experience so a franchisor has three jobs it's really pretty simple they need to sell franchises they need to train their franchisees and they need to support those franchisees on an ongoing basis and that ongoing support is more than just ongoing operational training it's also marketing brand development staying current whatever with what whatever the marketing trends are whatever the consumer trends happen to be making sure your products or service offerings are relevant helping them uh, navigate staffing issues now the staffing issues that come up are very real it is the franchisee's obligation to manage those but it is in your best interest as a franchisor to provide some guidance or recommendations on maybe how they find employees or retain employees, some suggestions for them to uh, follow and, and come along with. So really as a franchisor, it's sell, train, support. If they can follow those three things, that that's the easiest, simplest way to break it down in terms of their job and what they need to do. Because we, we talked a little bit about this, that they are breaking into, it is a new business. And one of those other common challenges or problems or pitfalls I see franchisors fall into is they view franchising as a hobby and they don't view it as a full-time or a commitment business. So they're, they're half in They're They're half one foot in They're You know, they're in the threshold, but they haven't come all the way across. They've got one foot in one foot out on franchising until they start to see some success because it's not a real revenue generator for the, uh, for the founder or for the owner yet. So I see that as a common uh, challenge. So you know, be committed to the fran 
to the franchise system because I promise your franchisees are going to be committed when they're investing even a hundred thousand hundred thousand dollars uh two hundred thousand uh, many franchises are uh, just working with a, a client before our conversation today and their investment is seven hundred thousand to 1.5 million to get into so it it's a big investment for someone to commit to so just don't forget and lose sight that your franchisees are committing and spending and investing a lot of time and personal resources into the franchise yeah, I think, I mean, I think if I'm to paraphrase a little bit, I think what you're saying is they're really stepping into a leadership role, but in a different capacity and they need to lead the ship. And it's not just this one ship now, it's all these, it's the fleet, right? That That's right. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and it's hard because they're not employees. So you can't force them to have to do things. So this is your point is well taken. You have to lead them. You have to guide them. You have to help show them the way and convince them why your way is the right way or that they should be making these changes to help them grow through it. Um, so each franchisee at some point will think that they know better than the franchisor. It's, it, it happens. It we happens all do both. that. I think <laughs> it's human nature to a certain extent. But um, reminding them that the reason they bought the franchise is to follow your system and a phrase that I always like to use is, uh, it, you know, you can do it your way, get your way results, or you can do it our way and get our way results. And so when you don't get the results you were hoping for, when you follow your way, uh, then, um, you, you know, uh, this is what we're trying to instruct you on. We know that our methods and systems work until you can prove and validate that start with our system first because it works. And once you prove that works, if you want to venture off trail a little bit, we'll give you a little slack to go and do that and, and try those new things. We, we can work together on that. Fantastic. Okay. So Tom, that's been so insightful. Everything about the franchise are, but I want to take you back to my very first question, which was to do with the franchisee. So let's imagine that, okay, I, you know, I don't know if everybody listening is already in business and they're potentially at that stage or aiming to get to that stage of being able to franchise their business. But let's imagine that somebody is already working in some industry and think, God, it would be great to have that big name because they're doing what I'm doing. Or, you know, perhaps they're a competitor and there's an opportunity to go in and work under them as a franchisee. So from a franchisee's perspective, like what do they need to look out for? What other pros and cons are there for those those individuals? Great question. So franchising can be a wonderful business opportunity. I've owned, I owned a franchise for about six and a half years. I've owned a, a couple different franchises over the years. And uh, it is a different, it's very different from starting your own. And so my first piece of advice to anyone coming in is really be comfortable and willing to follow the system and follow the program. And it, just accept that you're not going to be able to do everything your own way. But that's okay because you're going to save a lot of time and money on not having to figure out how to make it all work. Someone already has put that together. Just follow the program. It it, it will work. And until you prove that it doesn't, uh, you can move forward. I can give you a great example. When I started the one of the franchises I worked, I, I own, the corporate had recommended hiring commission-only salespeople. So I tried that for three months, six maybe six months, close to a year. 
And I just couldn't keep people around. It just wasn't working. They weren't sticking in. And so at that point, then I changed and offered a salary plus a smaller commission. And once I did that, it worked. And so sometimes it doesn't work full 100%, but everything else they were suggesting was working. So everything else was working the way that it was. So I made some of those local adjustments for my uh, local community. Um, as a franchisee, they should also be thinking about what is their budget and really stay focused on that on that budget and just know that it's going to cost more than whatever you think it is. And in, in most franchises, they're going to give you an investment range is how it should be structured. And you'll see a low to a high. I see it all too often that a prospective franchisee looks at that low number and that's the only number in their mind. Well, the low to the high is there for a reason. If you're going to err, err, caution anywhere, error on the high side, or at least a middle number, pick halfway between the two as a more likely scenario. Okay, so that, that's a really common mistake. And then all of a sudden they get into it and they're out of cash. Uh, and they're they're saying, oh boy, this didn't work. And, it, and it was just not quite maybe planned appropriately. Um, so those are really important things on the budget. Uh, selection comes down to preference. I, I just see franchisees buy all kinds of stuff that you would have, they would have never thought they would have ever gotten into. I can tell you the business I got into was in the the water restoration and mold cleanup business. That was never a business I would have ever gotten into. I know nothing about it. I mean, I do now, but I didn't back then. But the franchise system helped train me, coach me, get me prepared to go into that business and be ready for it. And and uh, I was not an owner operator. I had hired staff and people to come in and and operate that. And so uh, just be be willing to be open minded and start thinking more so in terms of what's most important to you. Is it making money? Is it a lifestyle? Uh, is it total income? Is it uh, work life kind of balance? Is it having your kids involved, you have young family, you want to kind of have your kids involved or do a kids related business. Think about things like that, that, that are more important to you. The opportunities exist. They are out there. They're everywhere. There are thousands of franchise opportunities. So just about anything you can think of in terms of the kind of franchise that might exist, it probably exists and will be able to, to suit your needs. So I, I always encourage the franchisee to really think about what are what do they want? What what's most important to them? And then pursue those franchises that offer that lifestyle, that income opportunity, the whatever. Uh, and then the 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 last piece I would say is uh, keep. It, it, I mentioned it before, but really focus on being open minded because it, when I've seen franchise candidates fall in love with a brand, they've been disappointed in most cases. And so be willing to keep an open mind and consider something else. I, I have very close personal friends of mine were really set on one specific industry and one or two specific brands within this industry. And after about two years of research, they were very thorough in their, in their due diligence. They bought a totally unrelated franchise that they didn't even know existed. They linked up with a franchise broker that helped introduce them and uh, get them connected. And so 
I, 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 they, they ended up buying it. They're very happy. They are so happy that they made the right choice. And, um, and I connected them with a franchise broker, which is kind of like a matchmaker. They're like a real estate agent for the buyer. They get paid a commission from the franchisor, so it doesn't cost the franchise buyer anything. And their job is to help you figure out what you're looking for. So if you can't quite figure that out on your own, I'd consider go talking to a franchise broker, which, by the way, we don't do, I don't do, uh, but I have many, there are many out there that we'd be happy to refer you out to if you'd like a referral or two, happy to send a, a list along to any, any of your uh, uh, listeners who might be interested in that. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, there are so many opportunities that for starting a business or even changing or tweaking the business that you already have. And that's just one that I think probably doesn't crop up as often as, as you might think. So thank you so much for your insights on that. And Tom, before we wrap up, I need to ask you about your own business and the success that you've enjoyed in business and how you've gotten to be where you are today. So you know, what has worked for you in your business? What hasn't worked? And what tips do you have for listeners about how they can implement some of the things that worked for you? Sure. Well, I would say for for my own business and what's worked, it's not, I would say it's not revolutionary. It's pretty typical business cycle. And so when we started, one of the things we did about four or five years ago, we really got specific on our company values and on our company purpose, mission, driver, whatever phrase you'd like to use there. We really got specific. We we named it. We spent a lot of time reviewing what, what is important to us, re what's really actually important to us. And we started thinking about what kind of customers do we want to work with? What's a great fit for us? What's not a great fit? What's great person who joins our team? So we got really intentional on that. And ever since we've done that, as new clients have come on board, in almost every case, they've been the right fit clients. It's also been easy to say no to the wrong fit clients. We're And, and saying no is just, we're, we're not the right fit. There are other service providers that can be, it's just not going to be fit for us. So that was something that uh, getting very clear on that has been really helpful. And I would say early on, it's hard to know sometimes when you first start your business. You think you know, but sometimes you have to go through the first two or three or four years and figure out what you like or don't like. So that that was a big learning lesson. Can I ask you a question on that just for my own curiosity? Yeah. So how long had you been in business before you did that exercise, Tom? So for me, I did that. I, I'd been operating for about, um, let's see, it was about, I guess, three years, somewhere around there, two, somewhere between two and three years. Now, to be fair, I, I've been self-employed for a lot longer before that. So, you know, I, I coupled that experience with it. But for Big Sky specifically, two or three years, we had been operating somewhere in that window when we decided we really need to get intentional about this. If the business is going to grow, if I wanted to be the, a quote, solopreneur, I could operate as I was forever. I could have done that for a very long time, but that that's not what I wanted to do. And so we said, we have to give our team and all of us some guiding uh, principles or values to help us in our decision-making. And, and we use these as filters in making every decision we do. Our number one value at our company is win-win relationships. And we use that filter to look at, say, where is the win for the client, for the uh, employee, for the fill-in-the-blank first? 
And then where is the win back for us? It has to be this mutual gain, collaboration, ally, team-focused approach. If it's not, it's not going to work. And we always want to look at that relationship side for us. If someone's looking in just for a transactional, just, you know, come on, get in, get it done, give you some money and out the door, we can fulfill those orders. We just aren't interested in that as a primary way of doing business. And so it's interesting since we've tied into those values, um, we have very few clients that come in under that approach. It just, it, you know, our marketing, all of our messaging has shifted to convey those values and discuss about how we do business in that way. And so the people that are aligned in that way tend to be more attracted to us. And those that aren't find others that are better fit for them. Amazing. That's so insightful again, Tom. Thank you so much. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think the listeners really need to know? Uh, I would say that if you're thinking about franchising, it's never too early to start think to start doing something now there are so many free resources we produce a lot of content uh, blogs um, uh, webinars podcasts uh, publications all kinds of just free info so if any of your listeners are interested in they just want to kind of start gathering some info check us out we offer a free consultation to anyone that's interested in just thinking about it and it doesn't have to be through us there's lots of great information out on the internet, um, uh, certainly our source, we are screening things, but just start investigating that and rule it out or rule it in. So I see a lot of prospective clients over the years where I talk to them for three years, four years, five years, six years, and they're kind of hemming and hawing on it. And I said, just rule it out or rule it in. And if you rule it out, close that chapter in your mind and go another direction. You might rule it in later, that's okay. Or rule it in and start really going down that pathway. I don't like when you get stuck in the middle because then you, you, it takes up brain space that could be spent doing other things. And I see a lot of clients get stuck there for many, many, many years. Mm. And Tom, one final question. Do you work internationally? We do. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have all kinds of clients all over the world. We have clients right now in Romania, South Africa, um, in India and uh, folks all, all over the world. It's certainly North America, of course, where we're headquartered here in uh, the Atlanta area. Uh, but um, yeah, we do, we do work all over the world. Brilliant. Tom, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. And I know for a fact that listeners' hands are so tired from all of the notes they've been taking. So thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here.